Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road Church in Guildford, UK. Thank you for joining us on the journey, wherever you are in the world. You can find out more about who we are and what we're up to at EmmausRoad.com. I am so excited to invite up our speaker in just a second. I want to give her a proper intro. So today we have the Jasmine Crown coming to share with us. I mean, um, Jazz has been a member of this evening team ever since it began, like three years ago. She is amazing. The thing with Jazz is that she is incredibly wise, like wise way beyond her years, but she's so humble about it as well. There's a verse in Proverbs that says, the hearts of a king run deep, but a man of understanding draws them out. And I think that really sums up you, Jazz. You just run so deep. And so Jazz is our, um, what's your title? Community? Um, pastoral facilitator. And community outreach coordinator, <laughs> which I'll let her maybe explain a little bit what that is. But she is amazing, and we're so pleased that you're coming to speak to us. This morning, we had Graham Tonlin in the morning, who slightly changed his topic. So in the morning, they're looking at money, sex, and freedom. But in the evening, we're looking at money, sex, and power. And I asked Jazz if she'd come and share with us about power. So let's give her another clap. Jazz, over to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm just going to put my water down there and try not to kick it over. Um, hello, everybody. Um, we're going to start by reading the Bible, because that is always a very good place to start. Oh, I feel a sound of music song coming on. I won't do that to you. Um, so if you'd like to turn to Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11, or it's coming up on the screen, and I'm going to read it out as well. So in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So... Some of you will know that I am married to the lovely Michael, who sat down here. Um, and one of his many gifts and talents seems to be attracting famous people. Um, perhaps not physically, but just attracting them. And maybe physically as well. Oh, no. Um, that's why you don't go off piste, isn't it? Um, but I'll often get texts or calls from Mike or pictures saying, guess who I've just met? Um, I'm from Ray Davis to Mark Hamill to Sam Allardyce. I'm not sure who that is. Um, and once he even played tennis with um, Natalie Bedingfield. You'll notice there that one of those pictures I had to doctor slightly because I couldn't find the original one. Um, <laughs> but it <laughs> gives you the picture. It's okay. It's good enough. So me and Mike will be married five years this July, which is very exciting. And um, on the morning we flew out to our honeymoon in Italy, we were sat in the departure lounge and Mike suddenly says, oh my gosh, Jazz, quick, get a photo. But before I could ask of who or what, I see Mike just cruising towards a middle-aged man in a suit who is heading to board the plane straight away. 
I try and sort of stage whisper to Mike, wait, who's that? Leave that nice man alone. He might be on his holidays. But Mike has his eyes on the prize. And the next thing I know, Mike is shaking the guy's hand and saying, best thing you did, glory season of Liverpool 2005. Thank you for everything. Can my wife take a photo? Um, he smiles and nods and soon everyone around us starts making a fuss and going, that's Rafa Benitez, that's Rafa Benitez. And the man sort of like quickly slipped away behind a little curtain and got straight on the plane. The football fans among you will know who that is, but I certainly didn't. And to be honest, I still, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but Mike saw this chance encounter with Liverpool's greatest manager on the first morning of our honeymoon as, and I quote, a sign of God's favour on our marriage. <laughs> I didn't even know who it was, and to be honest, I'm still not entirely sure. But the other people around me seemed so excited about being there that I kind of got swept up in it too. And I texted my brother straight away saying, we've just met Rafa Benitez, woo! And um, even though five minutes before, I didn't have a clue who he was. But because of his fame and power, total strangers, some, i.e. me, not even sure who he was, wanted to suddenly be around him. And we're all drawn to powerful people. And for so many of us, it's definitely not Premier League football managers. Although I, I personally think Mark Hamill up there is pretty cool and could pass as sort of Mike's long lost uncle, I reckon. <laughs> But we're particularly drawn to these powerful people, especially in our own little um, odd subcultures that create sometimes as well. And there's something in all of us that is drawn to the dynamism of certain people or people with status and money and expertise in areas that we are particularly passionate about. But why? Why do we chase people with power and status? And we all do it. And we all do things to try and make ourselves feel more powerful, consciously or not. Maybe we try to get close to those we see as influential. Maybe by we try to feel powerful by getting rich or maybe making ourselves more beautiful or more intelligent. Or maybe sometimes even by putting down those around us with cool jokes or just saying things that aren't very kind. And we all know that these things make us feel powerful for a flicker of a second, but that fades rapidly and we're left feeling a little bit empty and on the edge of something, never quite at the top or slightly left out. But what if there was a different kind of power? A power that's different to earthly privilege, but the power of the kingdom of God. We read time and time again in the Bible of God's power this beautiful picture painted of God's sort of epic power I'm about to read is found in Job um, in chapter 27 from the message translation. And you might like to just close your eyes as I read this. He spreads the skies over unformed space. He hangs the earth out in empty space. He pours water into cumulus cloud bags and the bags don't burst. He makes the moon wax and wane, putting it through its phases. He draws the horizon out over the ocean and sets a boundary between light and darkness. Thunder crashes and rumbles in the skies. Listen, it's God raising his voice. By his power, he stills sea storms. By his wisdom, he tames sea monsters. And with one breath, he clears the sky. With one finger, he crushes a sea serpent. And this is only the beginning, a mere whisper of his rule. Whatever would we do if he really raised his voice? 
the beautiful narrative of the Bible plays out. And this power of God is revealed to us in a man named Jesus. And in his death, resurrection and ascension, we are told that we are left with the Holy Spirit living within us. And when we invite him in, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. In Romans 8, 11, we read this. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. You are powerful and you are called to be so. We read in 2 Timothy 1.7 that God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. And God gave us three incredible keys to power, choice, free will, guidance found in the Bible, and hope in the resurrection. I regularly find myself in situations where I feel uneasy. If I think about it a bit further, sometimes I realize that that feeling underneath is actually insecurity. And if I think about it a little bit further, I realize that feeling of insecurity, for me anyway, is really a feeling of of being out of control and essentially I feel powerless in that situation and when we are approaching something or a situation we feel powerless in we have the God-given power of choice a choice not to change our circumstances but our relationship to them we feel out of control and powerless when we don't know our convictions, our principles, the way we think and feel about things and when we can't find our boundaries which leads us to feel powerless and to make a change or to move forward in any situation. Our convictions are like a map guiding us to create boundaries that help us to care for ourselves and others and God gave us choice and free will but also guidance, the Bible, a ready-made map of convictions. And with that, he gave us the hope of the resurrection to carry us through when choosing to follow those convictions wears us down. If we take any of one of these three keys to power away, choice, guidance, and hope, we are left feeling powerless, a bit like that fire triangle we all learned about at school for the chemists among you. Um, Yes, exactly, Adam Heather. He loves chemistry. <laughs> if you were to take away heat, oxygen, or fuel, the fire will go out. And the same way could be said of releasing the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And if we were to take away choice, for example, free will, we are left with guidance and hope. But we aren't really choosing to follow that guidance. There'd obviously be no real power in that at all. Without choice, we're left with this post-postmodern idea when facing a tricky situation or navigating a scenario that we are just products of our biology and environment. We are who we are. This is just me. This is it. This is who I am. With no power to make a change. But God gives us free will. And this choice makes us a powerful people. Choice is powerful when combined with guidance found in the Bible and the hope of the resurrection. If we take away guidance, which we find in the Bible, we are left with choice and hope, but no constant or ultimate truth on which to ground our convictions. And when we lose our convictions of what we think about and feel about things, we can lose our boundaries. And when we lose our boundaries and compromise ourselves and the people around us, we can feel out of control, leaving us feeling powerless. And if we take away hope, the hope of the resurrection will be left with choice and guidance and convictions, 
but no hope or grace to carry us through when the guidance of Jesus demands everything of us. And we fail, because we will, and we're left feeling powerless again. But when we give up that control to choose to submit to the guidance and the hope of Christ, we become beautiful humans, guided by the conviction of law and the choice to hope in the resurrection and become powerful people. But when we don't choose to submit to Jesus and the power of hope and resurrection, we will seek to find power in the form of privilege in other ways, in money, sex, status, beauty, knowledge, achievement, manipulation, and maybe the control of those around us. And that's when power becomes incredibly dangerous. Power in the form of privilege is attractive. It just is. We're all drawn to it, as we talked about earlier. But it won't ever give us what we're looking for and will more than likely hurt other people in the process. We are powerful and are called to be powerful, as we read earlier in Timothy. But you're already powerful. You are powerful in Christ. And we need to learn how to release this power that already exists in us for others, rather than to attempt to manipulate or dominate the people around us. We live in a broken world. The free will that God gave us, which is one of the keys to being the holy kind of powerful, is one of our greatest vulnerabilities. We see dictators and abusers and even sometimes well-meaning exploiters push their way to the top and crush others. And I hate to break it to you, but we all contribute to this with our words and actions and prejudice and the broken systems. We live in a world where there is a winner and a loser. And we have manufactured a power that means there always is a winner and a loser. But this is not the power that we find in the kingdom of God. Holy kingdom power has no winner and no loser. Just deep fulfillment in each other and in Christ. But we have the second key to power, holy power, guidance to show us another way. And a third key, hope to pull us through. The hope of a new heaven and a new earth and a different way of life that calls us to lay down our earthly privilege and pick up the power of the kingdom that we might be set free from cycles of pain and shame and in turn others would be as well. And this power is shown to us in Jesus. His power was and is utterly magnetic but entirely subversive and unexpected. Jesus' power is consistently and beautifully disciplined. He tells us he only does what he sees his father doing. Radical obedience. Jesus goes on to make the ultimate sacrifice out of this obedience that we might live a blame-free life. Radical obedience and ultimate sacrifice released the power that crushed the grave and defeated death in Jesus' resurrection. If you've been around church a little while, you know that our faith is littered with the most mind-blowing paradoxes. And we've come across another one here. The greatest power in the universe is, re is realized in obedience and sacrifice. Our theologian friend, Tom Wright, wait, it's not my actual friend. I don't want to admit that it's not my actual friend. I, I don't know why I called him my friend. Um, <laughs> The theologian Tom Wright um, highlights that when people in the ancient world thought of heroic leaders, we've got some pictures up here. Of Alex I drew that one myself, Alexander the Great. 
I didn't really. That was a joke. Um, We've got, yes, they thought of Alexander the Great. And at the age of 20, he succeeded his father to the throne of Macedonia, which quickly made himself the master of all Greece. And then he set on the task of conquering the rest of the world. By the time he died, just before turning the age of 33, he succeeded to such an extent that it was pretty normal for him to be regarded as divine because he was so powerful. In Paul's world, who wrote this letter to the Philippians that we read earlier, the closest equivalent to Alexander was the Emperor Augustus, who is there. I did that sculpture myself. Um, He'd put an end to the long-running Roman civil war and brought peace to the whole known world at the time. And it wasn't long before many came to regard him as well as divine. And only when do we grasp this, the power that existed in the ancient world, do we see just how deeply subversive and how utterly countercultural was Paul's gospel message about Jesus of Nazareth, whose resurrection had declared him to be Israel's Messiah and the world's true Lord. This Jesus, an illegitimate refugee born in a stable, the unlikeliest, seemingly powerless king of the world, is in fact so powerful, he was lord even over Augustus. This claim is so offensive to the ancient authorities and totally outrageous to the readers of Paul's letters. But as Christians, our pursuit of power is equally as outrageous and unpredictable. See, in Matthew 5, 5, Jesus tells us the meek shall inherit the earth. Um, The word meek here doesn't mean gentleness and mildness. You guys might have heard this before. We don't mean gentleness and mildness like we think of the word meek. We think of someone who's meek as a bit of a doormat, a bit quiet, someone who huddles in the corner. But rather the Greek that's used here translates as to exercise God's strength but under his control. Meekness is strength under the discipline that we learn from Christ and the guidance in the Bible. As Christians, we are called to a different pursuit of a different kind of power that's married with discipline, not the pursuit of privilege. Time and time again, the Bible points to a different kind of power. You see, the Bible tells us that our strength is weakness, our revolution is vulnerability, our war cry is dependency, and our secret weapons in the fight to see heaven on earth are radical obedience and unquestioning submission and sacrifice. So don't let the world trick you and rob you of your true freedom and the power of the kingdom of God. Because you will be pulled in different directions by Surrey expectations, the media, your friends, the economy, and our social system. And even sometimes, accidentally, church will sometimes tell you, and not always with words, but with actions as well, that you need more power, you need more influence, you need more status and admiration, but you don't. Look at Jesus' life. We have to stay in our lane and keep our eyes on him and those he came to save. The last, the least, the lost, and the dirty, and the hungry, and the forgotten. The gospel, Jesus in very nature God, laying down his life, emptying himself for the outcasts and the losers. This story will always echo through time, as in, and it's enshrined in the law of our universe. It works its way out in every single story of hope. 
the ultimate submission, Jesus dying on a cross that we might be free, releasing the ultimate power, the crushing of the grave and the release of eternal life. This is our calling, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus' radical obedience, submission and sacrifice. And we will surely see the release of power again for the benefit of the powerless. But what does it look like when we stop seeking to control others with more knowledge, more money, more beauty, or that we might have more privilege, but chase kingdom power instead? We will see powerful miracles of healing and discipleship and true community. But we need to be wary of just chasing after this power. It is for us a means to an end, and it's not an end in itself. You see, power is not a fruit of the Spirit. You have power in order that you might lay it down just as Christ did. The power that raises the dead, drives revolutions, subverts manipulative dictatorships, brings freedom to the oppressed and throws dynamite into evil regimes and overthrows rotten sociological systems is defined in submission and refined in self-discipline and manifests itself in its purest form as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. This is the gospel. And yes, God displays his power in miracles of healing and prophecy and in nature. But this is the grand revolution our generation so desperately needs. The fruits of the spirit worked out in relationship are the ultimate display of God's power. That was good. Woo! I just fist bumped. What am I doing? Um, And you see that there, though, there are men in suits and robes strutting down corridors of power all around this planet in very important buildings, discussing very important things in very important meetings with very important men. I am utterly convinced that the heartiest manifestos and real changes are written in our dining rooms, around our tables in our homes, with kind words and good food. The simplest, messiest, and most powerful strategy for a fairer world is to love your neighbor always. The great heroes of our faith, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, Millicent Fawcett, William Wilberforce, these people knew the power of the kingdom of God. They knew they had choice to act, guidance to map their convictions, and the hope of the resurrection to carry them through. And each of them let the fruits of the Spirit move powerfully in their lives through obedience and sacrifice. And they created revolution in their respective mission fields. The whole world knows who these people are because they carried a different kind of power and learned how to give it up for others. A guy called Jean Vanier. I never know if I'm saying that right. Jean Vanier? Jean Vanier? Um, says, um, says this. There's a nice picture of him up there. He's one of the kindest looking men in the world, I think. He says this. Some Christians are very taken up by politics. They can be terribly anti-communist, forming rather fascist organizations to fight the red devil. Or they can be fiercely anti-capitalist, fighting for new structures and distribution of resources. Both these tendencies can lead to a centralization, whether to protect the free market economy or to further wholesale nationalism. 
But I wonder sometimes whether these fighting Christians wouldn't do better to put their energies into creating communities which live as far as they can by the charter of the Beatitudes. If they did this, they would be able to live by and measure progress by values rather than those of material success, acquisition of wealth and political struggle. They would become the yeast in the dough of society. They wouldn't change political structures at first, but they would change the hearts and spirits of the people around them by offering them a glimpse of a new dimension in human life, that of inwardness, love, contemplation, wonderment and sharing. They would introduce people to a place where the weak and poor, far from being pushed aside, are central to their society. My personal hope is that if this spirit of community really spreads, structures will change. Structures are, tyrannies accepted, the mirrors of hearts. Time and time again, we look to history and see those who are disenfranchised and marginalized have been robbed of resource, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. The poor aren't necessarily poor because they've made bad choices. Those who don't have, don't have because they've been oppressed in some way by power-seeking people and systems biased against them. I wonder one day if we might start laying down our lives in friendship and stop getting our help all over everyone. We need to recognize that earthly privilege is no match for the power of the upside-down kingdom so that those who are traditionally rejected might be at the center of our communities. We can point people to Jesus and show them guidance and hope. And we can readdress the power balance. And we can lay down the power that we might accidentally claim when we empower someone and reclaim their story for our own. We can lay that down. We need to realize that those we push to the edges are skilled, resilient, and resourceful and will teach us more about the kingdom of God than we can imagine and make room for God to reveal and release the power that inherently dwells in those the world chooses to push down, ignore, and forget. Father Gregory Boyle, who is this really awesome Catholic monk who lives in L.A. working with ex-gang members and he's quite fun. I got lost in a little YouTube wormhole just watching videos of him. It was, it was fun. Um, but he puts it beautifully when he says that compassion is not a relationship between the wounded and the healer. It's a covenant between equals. God is powerful and so you are powerful. He gave you choice in free will guidance in the Bible, and hope in the resurrection. With these three things and the power of the Holy Spirit, he's equipped you to be powerful in every situation you will find yourself in. Guys, the upside-down kingdom, it's a real thing. It's not just a lovely poetic sentiment that we preach about. Power is released in submission, and the last will be first. The kingdom power we hold within us might confound the world around us and even cause them to laugh at us sometimes as we make countercultural choices out of the overflow of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, fruitfulness, gentleness, and self-control, traditionally ignored by power-seeking individuals and systems. 
But we know that the ultimate display of power, the resurrection of Christ, was fueled by these very things. And so we'll grit our teeth and carry on with heaven cheering for us as we go. And we must bear this in mind when we live our lives. Even if we don't feel powerful, we are and we can be and we must seek to release this for those around us. The posture of the upside down kingdom forces us to stand in, changes everything. We go from power seeking selfishness to being aware of the power within us. And as we do that, we are called into dependence and selflessness. We, the powerful, are called to lay it down in love and serve those who are not yet in the way that heaven does, has done, and will continue to do. That's the end. (laughs) 